Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, now as we come to this time of our service to worship you with our minds, Lord, I pray that you would open up our, our minds, Lord, to, to see you and to know you. Even though, Lord, you are beyond our knowledge, you are unfathomable. Lord, let us just get a glimpse of your glory today. So that when we come to worship, Lord, we're not just coming for worldly reasons. But we're coming to worship because, Lord, we realize that you are worthy of our worship. So speak to our hearts today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, as we continue our study, uh, Summer in the Psalms, Psalm 33. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, it's on page 433 in the, the Pew Bible there, 433 in the Pew Bible. I'll just say, as I always say, if you do not have a Bible with you at home, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you today. We want you to have the Word of God with you so you can take that home with you. Psalm 33. Why do you worship? Why do you come here week after week and worship? Why do we come together and, and, and sing songs and, and go through all of these things? Why do you do that? I want you to ask that question of yourself today. I want you to really dig down deep. I don't want you to answer it to me. I want you to ask that question of yourself. Do you do it out of a sense of tradition? Because that's the way, that's just what we do on Sunday. It's Sunday, we go to church. Do you come here to worship because of tradition? Do you do it out of a sense of duty? Well, this is what God expects us to do, so, so let's go to church and let's worship. Let's go sing songs. Let's do these things. Why do you worship? Why do you worship? Why do you sing songs of praise? Why do you listening to the preaching? Why do you worship? Perhaps it's even a mixture of the two. Maybe it's out of tradition. This is just how I was raised. This is what we always do. And a sense of duty. I think we Christians sometimes, we worship for that reason. It's a sense of tradition because it's what we've always done. And it's also a sense of duty because, hey, this is what, what we do. I mean, this is what God expects us to do. And so we come and we go through this thing we call worship. But I want you to know that these are not legitimate reasons to worship. These are not legitimate reasons to worship. The reason we ought to come and worship is because God is worthy of worship. The reason we come here week after week should not be tradition. It should not be out of a sense of duty. If we come here and we worship God because God is worthy. God is worthy. That is to say that, that God possesses qualities and abilities that merit our awe. 
that merit our worship. So today, as we look at this psalm, this psalm today, Psalm 33, recognizes some of those qualities that God has that make Him worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our worship. And in this psalm, we're going to see five reasons God is worthy of our worship. Five reasons God is worthy of our worship. So I hope today, I mean, let's just be honest, sometimes we do worship. Whether your motives are right or wrong today, sometimes we all do this. We all fall in the trap. We all do this. We get up and we come to worship just because that's what we do on Sunday. We do it out of a sense of tradition. We do it out of a sense of, of duty. But today, let's listen to the psalm. Let's see who God is. And let's worship because God is worthy of our worship. Let's worship because God is worthy of our worship. So as we go through these psalms this summer, I want us to, to think about some of the characteristics of the psalms as a whole as we go through this. And, and so there are several different types of psalms in the book of Psalms. There are wisdom psalms like what we saw in Psalm 1. There are the royal psalms or the messianic psalms, which we saw in Psalm 2. There are psalms of lament, which we looked at the last time we were together in Psalm 13. And then there are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. And today we're looking at a psalm of praise. It's a, a praise to the Lord, a praise to Yahweh. And this psalm starts with a, a call to praise God. It's a command to praise God, and we're going to see that in verses 1 through 3. And then after that, the psalmist gives us those reasons, those five reasons why we worship, why we are called to worship. So if you found your place there in Psalm chapter 33, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Or the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the, by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. 
and the plans of his heart are all to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men, of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of uh, the hearts of all of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by his great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So we see here five reasons God is worthy of worship. Five reasons God is worthy of worship. And like I say, there in those first three verses, he gives the command, shout, to, uh, shout for joy in the Lord. Right? Give thanks to the Lord. Make melody to Him. Sing to Him. Play skillfully the strings with a loud shout. All of these are commands to worship God. To worship. We are commanded by Scripture to worship God. But then He gives us the reasons we are to worship God. And these are just five reasons. I mean, we could go on for days and kind of list reason after reason after reason to worship God. So, so this isn't a complete list. Uh, these are just five observations that, that this psalmist brings out to us today. Five reasons to worship God. And so as we look at this, the first reason we worship God is because God is morally perfect. God is morally perfect. Look at uh, verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is upright. The word of the Lord is upright. That is, the Lord's speech is, is morally perfect. It's upright. He speaks in righteousness and truth. There's no falsehood found in the Lord. He never lies. He, he's never deceptive. He speaks truth. His word is righteous. It is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. Every action that he takes Everything that he does is done in righteousness. He is without sin whatsoever. And not only that, but, his, but also his motivations. His motives are righteous. He loves righteousness and justice, verse 5 says. He loves righteousness and justice. He, he doesn't do these things. He doesn't speak truth and, and act uh, righteous 
out of a sense to please anyone, but it's out of a love of his soul that his, he loves righteousness, he loves justice, and the earth is full of his steadfast love. You see, the Lord, he is morally perfect inside and out. Everything that he speaks, everything that he does, all of his thoughts are without sin. He is morally upright. He is morally perfect. Now, we can't hardly comprehend that, can we? I mean, if we're honest, we cannot hardly comprehend moral perfection. Uh, we, we think about, well, just think about politics for a bit. Uh, that's something that we see all the time on TV. We see politicians out there, and, and when they get into the midst of elections, or they, they get into these arguments and their fight, and, and they begin to mudsling, right? We've heard that term. They, they sling the mud. And, and what do they do? They, they go into to each one's history, and they begin to dig and dig and dig and dig. And if you dig deep enough, even the most righteous person, if you dig deep enough, you can find some mud to sling. Right? Even the most righteous human being out there, you can always find some dirt on them because all of us are morally imperfect. We all have our faults. We have all sinned. We have told lies. We have done uh, stupid, sinful things in our lives. We have made some big mistakes in our paths. And each one of us, we know that, that if, if our whole life was put up here on this screen, I mean, we would run for the hills, right? We don't want people to see that. If all of our activity, our whole lives, even our thought life was put up on the, the big screen, we wouldn't want that because we know that we are morally imperfect. We have sin, but that's not the way it is with God. God is morally perfect. There's not one, one thread of unrighteousness in him whatsoever. So when we look at God and see how he deals with the world, we can, we can know that he He's dealing with the world in a righteous manner because he loves righteousness. He loves justice. Even the world with all of its corruptedness, corruptiveness, God is dealing with it in righteousness and in justice. And as we look at the world and we see the injustices of the world, we can, uh, we can rest assured that one day God will make it all right. Justice will prevail because God is God over all things and he will make it right. God is worthy of our worship because God is morally perfect. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, You therefore, dear Christian, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is morally perfect. So we worship God. Because God is morally perfect. Second, we worship God because God is creator of all things. God is creator of all things. And you could actually put in there creator and sustainer of all things. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Look at verses 6 and 7. By the power, by the, excuse me, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Imagine that. Imagine that for a moment. 
I mean, we got, we're created in the image of God, so, so he has given us this ability to create in a certain sense. Not like God creates, because God creates out of nothing, right? He just creates out of nothing. He speaks, and there it is. But, but he gives us, you know, the things of this world, and, and you can go, and, and you can, if you're a craftsman, if you're good with working with your hands, making uh, wood, I mean, you can build cabinets, and you can create all of these things. But it's probably going to take you a while to do that. It's probably going to take you a while, even in your most creative moments, it's going to take you a while to, to, to draw that picture or, or to, to build those cabinets or whatever. But imagine God. Imagine God. There he is in eternity past. And God says, let there be light. He just speaks it, let there be light, and boom, there's light. <laughs> let there be land, let there be this earth, let there be all of these, these all this matter, right? This, this substance, and boom, there it was, right? We, we believe in a big bang theory, right? God said, he spoke, and bang, there it was. God created, he speaks. And things are created just by the power of his words. We can't do that. But God, by the very power of his word, he speaks. Let there be, and, and it is. Whatever is at the end of that sentence, let it be, and it is. God is creator. But also notice this, he's sustainer. He gathers the waters in the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. That is, that, that he is the sustainer of all things. The seas stay in place because God says, there's your boundary. You stay there. You don't go any further. If God didn't hold the seas in their place, they would flood the world. Just like they did in the days of Noah. But all things have their place and God keeps them in their boundaries. He withholds them. Even in these old bodies, he holds these bodies together. And he sustains us. He allows us to be. A verse that Sue read earlier, Job 12, 10. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. All of creation God holds in his hand. And by the word of his power, it came into existence. And by the word of his power, it stays in existence. He is creator and sustainer of all things. So we worship God. We worship God because he is our creator and our sustainer. Our worship should be like that of the 24 elders that is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, 9 through 11 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, that is God, 
who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Oh, when we come to to worship let us worship God because he is our creator and our sustainer he is our creator and our sustainer so we worship God because God is is morally perfect and he is the creator of all things third we worship God God is worthy of worship because God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over all things. Look there at verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe for, because He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now He spoke and it came to be. That's speaking to His creative nature. But then He commanded and it stood firm. God is sovereign over creation. God is sovereign over all of creation. The creation uh, responds to God. There's not one element in all of creation that doesn't obey, doesn't submit to the authority, the supreme authority of God Almighty. One of my favorite sayings of R.C. Sproul was that there is not, in all of the universe, there's not one maverick molecule there's not one maverick molecule whatsoever in all of the universe. There's not one molecule out there in any part of creation that says, you know what, God, I'm going to do my own thing today. Now, every molecule in all of creation is subservient to Yahweh. The Lord is sovereign over all of creation. But not only that, God is sovereign over all the nations. Look there again, verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Look at there. That you think about all of, all of creation, all of, all of the nations, the governments that are out there. There are so many governments that object to the rule and reign of God. There are these secular nations, uh, these, these uh, atheistic nations that, that hate God. Yet God rules and reigns over each and every one of them. There is not one nation that God does not sovereignly reign over. He is the one who causes nations to rise and nations to fall. He is sovereign over all nations. Romans chapter 13, 1 says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Isaiah 36 and 37 records uh, the, the episode in Israel's life and the, the life of Jerusalem and Judea. When the Assyrian king Sennacherib came to, to siege, to set us up a siege against the city of Jerusalem. And Sennacherib sent word through his authorities to the king uh, Hezekiah and the people of Israel then and says, hey, don't be trusting in Yahweh. Uh, don't let Hezekiah lead you into thinking Yahweh will deliver you. Look at all the other nations out there. Look at all the other nations and, and all of their gods. Ha have their gods been able to save them from my hands, Sennacherib said? Oh, don't trust Yahweh. He has no power over me. I will conquer you despite Yahweh. The Lord sent word through Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah the king and said, hey, don't you worry about Sennacherib. Don't you worry about Sennacherib because I caused him to rise and I will bring him down. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to Sennacherib. I'm going to put a rumor in his ear and he's going to go back home to Assyria and there in Assyria he's going to die in his own hometown. And the history tells us that Sennacherib went back to his homeland. And while he was kneeling at the altar of his God, his son came and killed him. And he died just like the word of the Lord said. God causes nations to rise and he causes nations to fall. You look at all the presidents of all of, of America, each and every one of them came into power because God said they will be in power. They will rise to that occasion. And everyone that ever will exist will be there because of God's sovereign reign over this nation. God is sovereign over the nations, dear friends. Don't forget it, no matter how bad it may seem here. No matter how much you may disagree and dislike a, a certain president, whatever one may be in office, whether you like them or not, God is sovereign. Whether you like the state of affairs or not, God is sovereign. And some things he does, it may be to judge this nation. Other things he does may be to bless the nation. But nevertheless, God is always in control. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over creation and he's sovereign over the nations. We worship God because God is worthy and God is worthy because God is sovereign over all things. God is worthy of worship because of his moral perfection, because he is creator and because he is sovereign. Fourth, God is worthy of worship because God is deliverer of those who fear him. God is deliverer of those who fear him. Verses 13 through 19 express this very sentiment. They tell us this truth. Verses 13 and, and 15 show us a picture of God. 
The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Here in these three verses, we see God's transcendence. God's transcendence. He is above all of creation. He is the one who sits high above all of creation. And he looks down upon man. And he sees all the things that we do. He sees every thought that we think. He sees it all. This is a God who is above all things. As we talked about just a few weeks ago when uh, the, the people of Babel came together and they thought they were going to, to build a tower up to heaven to charge the gates of heaven and take over rule and reign from God. It says God came down to see what they were doing. He, he explains his transcendence. He is far above all all of creation we can't reach him he transcends us he is far above us but God is not just transcendent he is also imminent verse 16 the king is not saved by his great army a warrior is not delivered by his great strength the war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. That term there, the eye of the Lord, is on those who fear him. That's, that's uh, an, an idiom describing God's grace, his loving kindness, his care for those who fear him, his eye of compassion, his eye of care, his eye of concern is on those who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine see God is not only transcendent but he is also imminent that is he is involved in creation he is involved in life here and now he is with us here today he is in this place he is speaking to our hearts even as we listen to his word preached. He is speaking to us. He is imminent. You, you see, there are many of those who, who believe in a higher being. They believe in a God who is transcendent, high above all things. Many of our early founding fathers, the founding fathers of America, they were, they were what were called deist, right? They were deist. They believed in a higher being. They believed in God. People like Benjamin Franklin and, and Thomas Jefferson, they believed in a higher being. They believed in a God who was transcendent. He, he created the clock. He wound it up. He put it in motion and he set it aside and now he just watches it tick away. That's the way these people see God. That's the way the, those kinds of people see God. There are many people who see God that way. They're, oh yeah, I believe in a higher being, but not one who is involved in life. He just wound up the clock and let it go. He's just watching from afar. But no, Scripture tells us that God is not only transcendent, He is imminent. He is with us. He is all around us. He is involved. He is taking care of His own. God is imminent and he is, he is transcendent, but he's also imminent. He is with us and he is the deliverer of those who fear him. 
He walks with us. He guides our steps. He cares for us. His grace is is always with us. And He delivers us from our worst enemy, from ourselves, from our own sin, and from death. Well, this leads us to the fifth and final reason that we see We worship God because God is worthy. God is worthy because He is morally perfect. He is creator. Because God is sovereign. And because He is the deliverer, finally, we worship God because God is our eternal hope. He is our eternal hope. Look at those last few verses. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust, we have faith in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in You. God is worthy because He is our eternal hope. Notice that verse, first verse there. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. Why does our soul wait for the Lord why does our soul wait our soul waits because God's salvation has not yet been fully realized you see we have to to understand that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen in a fallen world sin sin still pervades a falling world fallen world we still have to deal with sickness We still have to deal with death. We still have to deal with wicked people in our world who steal from us, lie to us, and, and do all kinds of terrible things to us. But even in this, our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits. His salvation, it's been realized, right? It's been realized because we, we know that salvation. We feel his presence with us when we come to saving faith in him. We feel that. But it hasn't been fully realized. His Holy Spirit moves in our heart and it, and it tells us, yes, we are saved. We are in Christ. He has delivered us from this world. But it's not been fully realized and it won't be fully realized until Christ returns trumpet sounds and he makes all things new we hope because our salvation has not been yet been fully realized hebrews 11:1 says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen it hasn't been seen yet but we trust in the lord and we know his salvation is true because we trust in his holy name Right? We trust. Our hearts are glad. Our hearts rejoice in Him. We praise Him. Rejoice in Him because we trust in His holy name. His holy name. His name is the name that is above every other name. There is no other name 
but the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because He is the same today as He was yesterday, as He was thousands and thousands of years ago when He promised Abraham from your seed, by your seed shall the nations be blessed. He is the same God that promised David, your, your descendant, your seed, I will establish his kingdom and it will be an eternal kingdom. He is the same God who came to this world and he lived a life in our place in perfect obedience to the Father's will. And he went to Calvary's cross, defeating our sin, defeating the death that we suffer. He went to Calvary's cross to die for us. And then three days later, he was raised again, giving us that assurance, that hope that all has been paid for. All sin has been paid for giving us that hope of, of resurrected life that is still yet to come. He was the firstborn of the resurrection, giving us that promise that one day He will return and we will be raised again to a new life in Him. And we can trust him because he is a God of truth. He does not lie. He does not speak falsehood. He is morally perfect. We can trust him. His word is true. So we hope in him. He is our only hope. He is our only way of salvation. It's only through him. It's only through Jesus, that we have eternal hope. There is no other hope in creation. No president can deliver us from our greatest enemy. No army can deliver us from our greatest enemy. No nation on earth, no person on earth, no thing in earth can deliver us, but one can deliver us. The Lord our God. We worship God today because He is worthy of our worship. And He's worthy because He is our eternal hope. Dear friend, God is worthy. God is worthy of our worship. So let me ask you again, dear friend, why do you worship? Why do you worship? Why did you come here today to worship? Out of tradition? Out of, of duty? If so, that's a, a worship that God doesn't receive. God does not receive that kind of worship. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, He, he, he confronts the Israelites because they're, they're worshiping in that manner. They're coming out of a sense of tradition. They're coming out of a sense of, of duty to, to worship in the house of the Lord. And God says to them, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? 
In other words, your, worth, your worship is worthless. You're not coming here and worshiping me because I'm worthy. You're coming to worship me out of a sense of duty. You're coming to worship me out of a sense of tradition. He says, I'm sick of your worship. Such worship makes me want to puke. We don't worship out of tradition. We don't worship out of duty. We don't worship for any other reasons but that God is worthy of our worship. We come because he is morally perfect, because he is our creator and sustainer, our savior, our deliverer, our only hope. That's why we worship. Because he's worthy. Oh, dear friend, if you came today to worship just because that's what you do on Sunday, then today let your eyes be open to who God is. Repent. Repent of that worship. Pour out your heart to God. Worship because he alone is worthy. For some of you, perhaps you came to worship today because you think out of, uh, because you think if you come here and you worship, then God will find you worthy. You you think out of uh, some way or the other that if you come here and you worship, if you do this worship thing, if you sing some songs, if you listen to the prayers, if you listen to the preaching, then that will somehow save you. Let me assure you, that won't save you. Such worship will never save you. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says in in, uh, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way you get to God, the only way you worship God is through Jesus Christ. If you came today to worship, trying to please God, to save your own soul, that's not where you start. You start by trusting in Jesus Christ and surrendering to Him. Today, turn away from your false worship. Turn to Jesus. Jesus will lead you into true worship. He will allow you to worship God because God is worthy. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, today, as this psalm was sung thousands of years ago, Lord, let us worship. Let us sing praise to your name. Let us honor and glorify your name, not out of any human reason other than you are worthy. Oh, Lord, we have so much sin in our lives that hides us, that, that clouds our vision and helps, keeps us from seeing your worth, your glory. Unveil our eyes today. 
Give us a picture of your glory. And let us worship. And Lord, if there's any, they came to worship because they thought by doing that they could win your favor and, and save their soul. Oh Lord, let them see the only way of worship is through Jesus Christ. Let them surrender to him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.